have not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsell. It's my honor to share this time today. And if you're looking at the video earlier where we're advertising Vacation Bible uh, Camp, uh, you notice that some of those folks were dancing there, you know, in the water somehow, and miraculously, then we make that kind of thing happen. Uh, there was one wearing a Star Wars mask. I'm pretty sure that was Pastor David there in that picture. I'm pretty positive that was him dancing like this, okay? And it's just like this, if you're noticing that. So uh, for dancers that are here, I apologize for him and myself today. Um, last week was the first in this series, and I've talked about trust as we're simply talking about the last 38 years of my ministry as a pastor, uh, 20 years as a senior pastor here, but last year as one of the pastors here, moving on now to a new task the church has called me to, I'm excited about. Uh, and in that journey, I, Pastor David said, I want, to, I want you to take four weeks, I want you to share in all the services uh, about your life and faith and ministry. We had talked some time ago about one day doing a Confessions of a Pastor series. He said, do that one. And so I said, yes, and I'm happy to do that. Thank you, David, for allowing me this opportunity. And I, of course, changed it quite a bit, knowing that it's the last series I'll be preaching in this church, and that's difficult enough. But uh, So I was saying a few things I might not have said, but hopefully helpful to you and bless us all. Talked about trust last week again, which for me has been the most difficult thing, I think, to learn as a pastor of a church is trusting God. I've asked God to prove himself to me so many times I need to apologize. God, I'm sorry. I've asked you again to prove yourself because God always has. God always will. Hope you know that about your own life and faith and journey. God is trustworthy, and he will be, has been, always will be. Today we're talking about grace, the essential nature of grace in the church, in life, in our Christian journey, being a pastor for 38 years, it's about grace. And I'm going to show you a picture to begin today of, of a baptism. This is a Glen Lake camp. Uh, it's end of confirmation. That's been quite a few years ago, as you might note. The young man there is, getting, is, going, is going to college next year. It dates that. And I've lost 40 pounds since then. Pastor Johnny's gained 40 pounds since then. <laughs> There's some truth in that. Uh, back then, I, I, I didn't run, didn't do much cardio. I lifted weights. I just got really, really big. Weighed about 240 pounds then. Uh, and so I was kind of a relatively big, strong guy in those years. Uh, and uh, played basketball still. I gave that up, but I played basketball then. And I was part of, a for, for a while, a church league in our community. Our church put a team in. Some of those guys are here, by the way, uh, in this service. And we, we played uh, against another church team. And I played that game. We won, and we won the trophy, not because of me, but we won the trophy in that league. Uh, but anyway, there was a, one particular time where I managed to get a rebound. And I liked my rebounds when I would get them. For those who know about basketball, uh, there are guys who liked it. I really like when I get my rebound. Do not take it from me. I worked hard to get there and get that. And so I got the rebound, and the guy on the other team came up very, very close into my space. And somehow in the interaction there, on the basketball court, his nose hit my elbow. <laughs> he went to the ground like he was shot. I mean, literally to the ground like he was shot. And I remember looking down at him and thinking, oh, let's go on. So I passed the ball up the court. <laughs> it was my rebound after all. Now, now, what I'm trying to tell you is he simply, we, we simply were for a moment there sharing the same space. Right? Sharing the same space. How many know in the church we're sharing the same space. And we're serious about this space. Worship, I need Jesus, 
I want to make a difference in the world. I want my gifts to bless other people. Uh, I have things that matter to me, important. We're very passionate about our space. Not a basketball game. We're talking about the kingdom of Almighty God. It's a big deal, right? So occasionally, those kind of things happen. It's okay because we're people. Those things happen when people were involved, are involved. I was at a Oh, it's called a Texas Methodist Foundation event, uh, not terribly too many years ago, maybe 11 or 12 years ago. And while I was there, we met with some other large church pastors, I did, and we were at College Station. How many of there's university down there at College Station? Anybody know about that, there's university down there? Anyway, there was one of the pastors there who served one of those churches, which was a large church. He was telling a story about his church because we're there to bond and, and, and vent and to share and to help each other and connect. And, and no one knows uh, what being a pastor of a large church is other than another large church pastor. So we enjoy that. And he was telling a story about his church a week or so before. It turned out that his, his youth director and his uh, music director had got in an argument in the hallway after a meeting. And they were yelling at each other about space. Each wanted the same space. Uh, they needed it for their program, their ministry, their people. And they were flat out arguing, yelling, screaming. And he said, I had to go out there and make peace and put them each in their corner and say, settle down. And as he's telling that story, I get a phone call. And I answer the phone and I say, oh, I've got I've to leave. I had to step out in the hallway. It turned out that here in my own church, uh, and the call was from a, a, a staff person saying, there are two other staff people, they're in the hallway in the other building, and they're fighting about space, and they're even throwing chairs. They passed the point of making a loud voice sound, and they were into the point of throwing chairs. And I said, well, I'm out here. What am I going to do? I'm in College Station. And he said, well, I'll call if you've got to come in. So, so she went over there and said, it's going to be all right. We think they're settled down. It's going to be fine. And it is, and it was, and it will be. It's about sharing space, and even more, it's about grace. It's about grace and how life works in human relationships that have this filtering down of God's amazing, spirit-filled, I even say the blood of the cross kind of grace that works in our life. I love the Bible for lots of reasons. I love it for uh, the words of salvation, offers of hope and, and love and help in our life. It tells me about God. Who wouldn't like that? But I also like it because it's so real, honest, and true to what life is in the world we live in. There's a story of the Corinthian church which is two very long letters Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and that town was much like Los Angeles of its day. And that church had multiple layers of issues, problems, conflicts, and divisions. Why? Because it was full of people. Lots of people from everywhere, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicities. They, they were all different, and they were struggling together to be, to be God's people, and that's not always easy to do, and it wasn't for them. And so he writes two letters simply talking about that. To do this, let me help you here. Let's talk about love for a while and forgiveness. Uh, let's celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's come together for the sake of the kingdom. And, and he tells that story over and over and over again in all kinds of ways. I love the reality of that book. That church was a mess. Yet God worked in that church to change its world in one generation. Thank you, God. Uh, there's a story of the Jerusalem Conference. We just finished General Conference in the Methodist Church. 
People from all across the world gather together and talk about what they care about, what they're passionate about, what they believe in, what matters to them. And they're all sharing the same space. And occasionally, it might be a little bit, if not a lot, conflict. It's the way that it works. Jerusalem Conference was that. It was the Jerusalem church, the, the, those in the Roman world church, gathering together. And there they gather together and talk about what are we going to do? What are we going to believe? How are we going to live? How are we going to serve? And they figured out a way to make it work. And they went back and changed the world in that generation because of grace, bloody grace. There's an amazing story in the book of Acts. I love this the most because, again, it's so early on. These men and women, many of them had seen Jesus. They had connected with the resurrection itself. They saw the resurrected Lord, and they listened to him when he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for, for, for so many days, and they did. And when they did, that 120, Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit fell. Uh, they spoke the glory of God to all those around, and 3,000, we're told, came in the church in one day. Amazing story. We talk about church growth. That was serious, church growth. A few weeks later, though, Already, so quick, their humanity comes out. Oh, yeah, they're filled with the Spirit. They believe in Jesus. They've been saved by God's grace in their life. They know who God is, but still, they are still, still people, right? And we're all people, right? I'm people. We're all people. That's how it works. That's how God made us. And so a few weeks later, they have been compassionate and loving. And they want to take care of the widows in their church, in their community of faith. They don't want them to go hungry. No social security back in those days. They don't want them to go hungry. And so they, they develop a system to feed them. And yet there are two major groups in the church. There are what's called Hellenistic Jewish Jews and then Aramaic speaking or, 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 or more Jewish Jewish people. Uh, and they're there in the same community. And, and the Hellenistic speaking Jewish families think the other widows are getting better care, more food, and more respect. And so they're upset about it. They start to argue. They start throwing tables, as you might say in that situation. And so they decide to come together, what we're going to do, and they end up getting seven deacons. That's how deacons got started. And those deacons' job was to take care of those tables and those widows and that food so we, meaning the apostles, can go tell the world about Jesus. That's our job. And they made it work. They made it work. In the midst of grace and humanity, they come together, and that's how the kingdom of God works. And it worked. The world was changed in one generation. The reality of grace and how it works in our life. Now, earlier on today, uh, you read or prayed the Lord's Prayer together. We prayed in almost every service that we come together uh, to, to, be, to worship in. And there is uh, two verses that, that follow the Lord's Prayer. That's not the whole Bible, just one prayer. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the rest of it. And here are the two verses that follow. And Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to pray. And he does. Let me tell you something else. Okay, now listen, please. He, he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and he does. Now I'm going to tell you something else you really need to know. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Grace, grace, grace. How grace works. You know, in my uh, very first church that I pastored uh, 38 years ago, 1978, went there in June. I was 25 years old, as, as most of you know. Uh, and there when I arrived, it took a year to figure out that there was a unique dynamic in that little church, that little rural town. That there were two families there 
who were the primary leaders of that church community. Uh, about 100 people that came on a given weekend uh, in that church. Uh, and, and these families, one whole family, many siblings, their kids and grandkids had all come before World War II. Talking 1978 now. The other family, same, big family, a lot of siblings, kids and grandkids had come after World War II. This family sat on that side of the church. That family sat on that side of the church. This family went to this Sunday school class. That family went to that Sunday school class. This family were on these committees. That family was on these committees. It took me a while to notice that. Where is it? Oh, I think I've got that. I was very naive back in those years to notice it. Yet somehow they cooperated. They cooperated for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of what they, each one believed in, which was they all believed in Jesus. They all loved God, and they made it work together because of grace, what grace is and how it works in our life. And I call it this in my own personal life, and I'll share that with you. I call it bloody grace because it's real, tangible, and it all comes from the same place, meaning that God forgives me. It comes from the place of the cross where blood was shed on. It's a pool of blood at the bottom. That's how the cross works. When I forgive or accept forgiveness, grace comes from the very same source, very same place. It's all from, it's all from there. It's not from me. I can't manufacture it and make it work. I can't dredge it up. I've got to go get it where it really is, which is what God gives me in his own forgiveness of my life, patience, understanding, blessing. So it becomes the center of the Christian life is this kind of grace. The center of the good news we call the gospel is this kind of grace. Uh, the center of the church is this kind of grace. The center of Christian marriage, Christian families, Christian friendships, Christian community, Christian ministry projects and workplaces and classes and outreaches all come from this very same place, which is why the church works like it does. Do pastors ever have conflicts in the church? Disagreements are arguments. Well, are pastors people? You answered the question yourself, haven't you? Uh, if you have them, we all have them as part of who we are. It's the nature of what we're passionate about, of sharing the same space, of interacting together around this central idea of, well, the cross, which is the center of our church. It's what we're about, how we live. We have those kind of disagreements. My mom and dad uh, had great parents. Uh, thank you, God, for my, my mom and dad who were great uh, mother and father. They would occasionally have arguments. And there, I have two sisters and one brother. We would hear those arguments. As years went by, we might comment or I might comment on that argument and say, ah, y'all argued today, I heard it. You know, that's how kids like to do with their parents. Uh, and, and my mom would always say, we weren't arguing, we were just disagreeing. And that was always her word, don't argue with her about disagreeing. In that case, it was always a disagreement. Sometimes these things happen in the church because the church is personal, it's who we are. Many years ago, uh, we uh, only had uh, traditional worship. That means that we had a choir, 
didn't have an orchestra yet. We only had a choir, uh, had, or, had a, smaller, a smaller organ and a small piano uh, here in those years. And uh, we, we would get up and wear the robes, which I still do at 8, 15, 11 o'clock. We have two great traditional services now. Then we, only, only, we didn't have any contemporary worship at all. No guitars, uh, no drums, you know, no uh, synthesizers, whatever you call them today. None of that stuff was up here at all. And I made the decision that uh, we needed to have at least one contemporary service. Uh, the, the world's changing, the community's growing, there are young families here, a lot of people really enjoy and connect with God through contemporary worship, so we need to make a change. And so I decided that I wanted to take 9.30, this service was 9.45, this service, which was traditional at that time, and transition it to uh, contemporary worship. That's what I decided to do. And I went through a group in the church, our worship committee we had in those years, some other folks that talked about it, and we decided together we were going to do it, we're going to just do it. And so people came to church one Sunday, and there was choir, uh, and there was traditional worship. They came the next Sunday, and there was a band up here with worship leaders like you see this morning. Now, there was also a corresponding truth that I'd yet to take into account. For many years as a pastor, Folks could contact me by coming by my office, they could call me on the phone, or they could send me a letter. But email was now available. And that was kind of a new thing for many people, but it was really out there. And I discovered email added a new quality to my life. People could let me know how they felt uh, about the sharing of space whose elbow hit whose nose by email. And I got flooded with emails about what people thought about that. And, and, and we processed that. And, and somehow we got through that. Somehow we made it work. Somehow we went on through that journey. And I dealt with the hurt. And others dealt with the hurt. And uh, this perceived damage and real damage. And we got to a place because of the grace of God where we have five contemporary worship services now. And we have bands all over the place uh, who go, do mission, go do, do mission work in Fort Worth singing. They go to prisons and sing for people and, and lead worship. Uh, they come here and lead you in worship, as they did last night, and are doing twice at 11 o'clock in two different places, and CR on Thursday night. And we still have amazing, the best traditional worship probably in the state of Texas as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to the worship music, the choir, Scott, uh, you saw some of those folks here today playing bells and the trumpet, how beautiful that is. I felt like I was in New Orleans for a while as we were singing together about the, the praise and worship they have there because it's all about grace. We have those disagreements, but that's how life works. So, so here's what I'm going to say now. The church works because everyone in it bends the knee to Christ. That's why the church works. Because you do, I do, we do. We come from a place where we won't one time or even today or in the last few minutes said Jesus Come into my heart, give my life to you. And that grace works. And a statement in line with that, I want you to hear, grace keeps hurt from breaking us. Grace keeps hurt from breaking us. The church, a class, a family, a marriage, a friendship, even the kingdom of God. And that's why it's the center of all those who love and know God because God first loved us. All those that forgive, because God first forgives us. That's what Jesus says there in those simple words that follow the Lord's Prayer. 
and what the Corinthian church understood and learned, what that book of Acts church figured out, uh, what Paul and Peter and James and John learned there in Jerusalem and throughout their life together, how God works, how we experience life and faith and make it work. Because in this sense of faith, we add a third statement I want to share with you, and that is grace and love trump sin and death. Grace and love trumps sin and death. Grace and love trumps sin and death. You know, grace, God's grace, love, God's love, sin, forgiveness, and death, the resurrection. And there again is the gospel. There again is the good news of the church, which is why you're here. You may not be able to verbalize it that way, but it's why you're here. That's why we come to church. That's why we continue to come. We know that's the light of this place, and we're drawn to the warmth of what that is and our own friendships and even conflicts sometimes and seeing how God works, sometimes slow, sometimes fast, but God works. Another church that I, t- that I was a pastor of, I had the habit of in that church every Palm Sunday dressing up as a Bible character. And telling the story of, of Easter and uh, Palm Sunday and Holy Week from that perspective of that Bible character. And the very first time I did that, many years ago, I dressed up as, as the Apostle Peter. My wife sewed that costume, worked very hard on that, a uh, long flowing dress basically is what it is. There was a sash and I grew a really big black beard to really be Peter there. If I grew a beard today, it would be, be a big Santa Claus beard, but then it was a big black beard that I grew. Still have pictures of that amazing moment, which I won't show you, dressed up as Peter in that costume. And I would come in his character right before the sermon, and I would leave at the end to stay in character because they, they, they could think about Peter and not me, and his story and not my story. So I snuck out, went to my office, and there, when I went back, was a couple waiting for me. They were not members of the church. They had never been before. I did not know who they were. They simply wanted to talk to a pastor. They thought 12 o'clock, church would be over. So they snuck in there, and there they were, this couple. Uh, And I walk in, of course, my office as Peter, the apostle Peter. And here's this couple who needs marriage counseling, and they are in intense marriage trouble. I mean intense what had gone on in their marriage. First, they had not helped their marriage for many years, but it got worse and worse and worse until she was having an affair. There was a murder plot involved in this marriage situation. They told me all, this took about two hours to tell me about. Other things happening as well. He was a police officer. Uh, She was a stay-at-home mom raising two kids. And when we were done, of course, I had to fix my dress every once in a while and cross my legs and be careful I didn't show anything, you know, which is odd enough in itself when you're trying to talk to someone about marriage. You're thinking, oh, this this is not how I would normally want to be discussing marriage issues with someone, but hey, it's what we got. This is what we're going to do. And we did. I would not have given you two cents for that marriage. Not two cents. Not long after they joined the church, they, they, they were there all the years that I was there as the pastor. Uh, a few years later, he was, on a motor, he was a motorcycle cop and he had an accident, was nearly killed. Uh, spent weeks, weeks, if not months, in a hospital in Dallas. When it came time for him to get out, it was a snowy, icy day. She called me and said, said Pastor Mike, he wants to come home. I want him home. We want to be together after this. Uh, and, and I can't drive in the ice. They said, well, I'll pick you up. So I went to the house and picked her up, got in the car, went up there, uh, picked Larry up, uh, brought him back home. 
when I left that church, uh, there were people that spoke. He was the one who got up and spoke. And he spoke in different ways about grace. Grace, marriage, family, church, pastor, member, friendships, nearly getting killed. You know, his life changed so dramatically by the accident. We talked about grace. It sounds like a crazy story, but hey, it's the story we all have because where the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Why? We see it. We need it. We know what it is. We are drawn to it. And we get to give it to others. That's all that Jesus is teaching us in his own giving Loving, sharing, teaching, dying for the sins of the world. When we accept God's forgiveness, we lose the right to not forgive someone else. When we accept God's forgiveness, we lose the right to not forgive someone else. One of my closest friends in this church today, he was not my closest friend nine and a half years ago. Uh, We in that season had a serious conflict I could say disagreement, if you'd like to use that word. Uh, It doesn't matter what it was, because when you share the same space, those things happen. The elbow and the nose meet, and somebody hits the floor, and there you are. That's how people are, how life is, how the marriage is, how families are, how the church is, of course, how the Bible church was in in Corinth, uh, and the story of the book of Acts in the Jerusalem Conference how it is. We had that conflict and uh, there, w- there was a season we just weren't able to really communicate well at all. Well, after a period of time, sometimes it takes time. You know, it's time, it's patience, it's understanding, it's waiting, it's getting the feelings passed, getting to a better season, a few breakfasts at International House of Pancakes over some bacon and eggs, you know. Some of those and things begin to change and, and slowly but surely, Grace and life trumped sin and death. Because he and I had one place that were exactly the same. We both had and do and still bend the knee to Jesus Christ. We both understand what that God has done for him and for me and how our grace was given to us in our own journey of personal salvation, living for Christ, trying to serve him and do the best that we can the same place. We both live and breathe family and marriage and church standing in the pool of God's blood. It makes our life work. And so as time went on, that friendship was not only restored, it grew. That's permission. I'm going to show you some pictures uh, that happened since that time, nine years ago. Here's the first one. Uh, we ran a half marathon. That's Pastor, that's Pastor Caesar in the middle. We ran a half marathon together. Uh, and by the way, back then, uh, Caesar's lost 100 pounds since that picture. For anybody new in our church, Pastor Caesar played football for uh, the, the Chicago Bears. That explains his size right there. He's now a head chaplain of the Methodist Health Systems. Next picture. It's all happened since that nine and a half years ago experience. There's a team of golf. We're smiling. Uh, I'm the D player. I'm not the A player. I'll make maybe one putt in an entire 18 hole for those who play golf. Uh, but we play together anyway. There's my bright yellow shirt I still have. Uh, and this is a great picture because we took it together because that year uh, I was uh, elected or voted on or however it happens as a citizen of the year, the wall of honor in the city of Mansfield. And that same year, Art uh, was elected a citizen of the year in Burleson. Same year. You know, so you're saying again, you know, grace at work, the kingdom of God, what it looks like to gather together, sharing the same space, how God works, 
The difference we try to make in our world. Next picture. Yeah, this is, this is actually last year. No, about two years ago, and that's about a 12-mile run we're starting there in Fort Worth, and that's me with my hands up. I have no idea why I put my hands like that. I, I don't know why that went on. There's Art waving more discreetly, you know, uh, and he's not discreet, by the way, for there's no art. I am more so that way, but that picture's like that anyway. Next picture. Uh, this, is la- this is just a few months ago at Big Bend. And we had to drag the canoes. There's no water in that Rio Grande if, you, Grande, if you've been there in a while. So we dragged the canoes more than we canoed, but still, we went down that great uh, together, right? And we canoed together, and we went down that uh, great uh, canyon together. Beautiful journey for us. Next picture, I think another one. Now, that's in Israel. Now, can you, can you tell what's on our backs? I did not take that. That picture was taken, and I was not suspecting it was happening. What's on our backs? That's a camel's behind. On the front is a camel's head because camels have two parts. And so there are the two parts for us. And that was not too many, long, too many months ago. And uh, we decided that it would be fun to wear the same shirts. Moranda bought me mine. His wife bought him his. I think that's the last picture. We're done, right? That's the last one? Okay, then we'll take that picture off if you can. You know, and, and that's just the whole church, the kingdom of God, the United Methodist Church, Uh, Your family, my family, your marriage, my family, your friendships, my friendships, if grace is the center and how God works over time, moments and journeys and experiences, even through our own feelings, you know, that hurts, can't believe you did that, you know, and yet here we are, how we celebrate life, and I use the term again, bloody grace, and again the words are, grace keeps hurt from breaking us, grace keeps hurt from breaking us. I have, in the last few years, uh, really many years, I've had an opportunity to share with a lot of pastors individually, lunch, breakfast, uh, coaching, uh, consulting, and I met a lot of pastors, especially long-term pastors who are broken, just plain broken. They found a place through the life they've lived, uh, the damage they've received, the damage they might have given to others, that you see they're broken. And the answer is, they've also misplaced that grace is real. It's a real, full of God's love for us, a real presence of God's Spirit, a real activity of God because Christ really was crucified. God's love at work in His spiritual way in grace moving among us. It's a real, tangible thing that works. We turn toward that. And remember, it's about bending the knee to Christ. Remember grace covers that. Let's have, let me get through that hurt to a healthier place. That grace makes me whole. And that grace in life trumps sin and death. God, grace keeps hurt from breaking us. You pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your presence among us. And we have to admit in our life, we need you to forgive us all the time. Every day and certainly every Sunday we look to you and we say, God, one more time, forgive us. One more time, forgive us grace. One more time, give us another chance. One more time, get us through to tomorrow. And God, you've proven yourself to be trustworthy and faithful to us. Even now we ask you to forgive us. Now, Lord, in our relationships, in our class, our friendships, our mission projects, our home and families, our neighborhoods, We invite you, God, to be with us there as well. May grace grow. May we grow. Through that, may your kingdom grow. 
in us and through us. Our prayers in Jesus' name, amen.